Well, good. It's, it's hard. There's a lot of things to remember today. Happy Father's Day. That's one of them. Uh, some of you have really earned your stripes. And you can imagine, you know, I used to look like him before the kids. I tell you, I mean, it's been rough. I mean, I only got two of them. I don't know how some of you are making it. No, I'm kidding. Anyway, some of you are really good dads, especially, I don't know everyone uh, that well. Uh, some of us, it's been a real challenge. Uh, for me, it, it, being a parent uh, was a big challenge. Uh, I grew up with a, a father who, when I was young, was very angry, and, and uh, I couldn't please him. And so the idea of, uh, I mean, he loved me, and I'm very grateful. And he, he is, uh, he kept growing. The nice thing about my father is he kept growing. So that as a, uh, when, he, when I was 25, he had a, a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. And it changed his heart and took away a lot of the things that had happened to him as a child. And he kind of became the man he always was. Uh, but maybe particularly as his oldest son, I didn't see. And uh, I think a lot of his hurt and anger he took out on me as the oldest son. But in any case, uh, since that time, the last 30 years have been really remarkable uh, in his life. And uh, I'm very close to him. And I'm very grateful. But growing up, it was not like that. It was a, a very uh, difficult relationship. Um, you know, you don't know anything different if that's how you grow up. You don't really realize until you see other families, uh, and then you, you realize, well, maybe that's not how it has to be, but nonetheless. So today, the, today's Father's Day, it's Holy, it's Trinity Sunday, so we're celebrating uh, the Trinity, but uh, for every reason, I felt like what I wanted to do this morning uh, was to create a time where we could bless you as fathers. So I've asked some fathers both people who are ordained, not ordained, to, uh, they're, they're sort of been prepped um, uh, to come up and then at communion, after you take communion, we're not praying for the sick like normal, not that you couldn't get a sneak of prayer and maybe, but this morning we're going to have five or six men up here and we're going to give you a father's blessing. I, I can't tell you, uh, I went to Promise Keepers with my father and to hear for the first time, uh, they taught him how to bless me and uh, it was fantastic. Uh, but some of us have never got that opportunity, and some of us, uh, our fathers don't know how. And uh, if nothing else, this morning, we're going to add to that pool of blessing. Maybe you've been blessed well, but if you're, if you're game, we would love, doesn't matter if you're old or young, sometimes our fathers are dead, but we're missing that piece of sort of being initialized, like a, a file being initialized. I remember, you know, today it seems like nothing, but I remember the first time when I was buying Microsoft Word, and I had to download it from the internet instead of buying it with a hard copy. I thought that was so amazing. But then, you know, all the features didn't work until you put in like the 75 numbers and letters. Some of you remember those days. And, uh, and then it was initialized. And then, the, you know, you had the copy of it on your computer, but you couldn't access everything until it was initialized with the code showing that you paid. In some ways, the blessing in the life of a person does that for us. There's something, it doesn't mean you haven't been successful, haven't done well, having good, been parent, good parents, but often we have not received, even parents that loved us, didn't know how, uh, are one unable, uh, maybe didn't know the Lord, didn't know how to bless us like that. And it doesn't matter how old you are, it's it just a matter if you're open in game. So if you're open in game this morning at the appointed time, right after you take communion, we're going to uh, line up across here and then people can come to us uh, and we'll bless you. Uh, we got some younger dads, Older dads, um, you know, we got Dion's old, and we got different ones. You get to pick. We got skinny ones, fat ones, all kinds. You get to choose. 
All right? So, but, but what we'll tell you, what we'll do is, what it takes to bless is the intention of sincerity. This is, this is like the way curses work too, but it takes sincerity, the words of blessing, and the power of heaven. Those three things. And we're asking, what we're going to ask this morning, I'm taking from the, uh, the blessing that Father Russ Parker gave us, and as part of his book on blessing, he did a whole book about what it means to bless. Uh, it's a pretty comprehensive blessing. So everything in that blessing comes from the Bible. So we can be assured as we speak what God says and what God wants to do, we can be assured that those words have power as opposed to uh, saying something that maybe we don't know or is not appropriate. We know that that is and. And uh, I'll read that to you at the end of the sermon this morning. Now, for whatever reason, I'm on this thing where I'm saying, okay, I feel like I hear the Lord saying, now remove the impediment. So this morning, I want to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. I preached this some, I don't know, two or three years ago on a Thursday night. And, you know, I was raised in the Baptist church. I kind of love this to be able to have a, a title for a sermon when all hell breaks loose. I like that. Now, I mean, it's a very biblical thing. Uh, those are biblical words, but uh, I love it that I can, I, you know, I don't put many titles, but I really like putting that one on this one. And, and, and I came up with this, I was praying because at that time, I think it was a couple years ago, January, I'm not positive, but there was people that were going through so many difficult things. I mean, sicknesses, financial problems, relation, I mean, at every aspect of their life. And so I was praying about this and, and looking around saying, what, you know, how do we make sense of this and, and what can we do to make things better? And um, sometimes we're going through these things that we go through, and they're not only directly because of something that we did right or we did wrong, but we're connected as people uh, into other categories, meaning ourselves, our family, our nation, our cities. You know, the Bible says the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous, just as the hurricanes come on the unrighteous and the righteous, meaning that because we're part of a group of people, we can experience good things and bad things corporately, not that you can just point and say, this one deserves it, this one does it doesn't work that way. But nonetheless, Nehemiah, following the example of Daniel, uh, uh, Moses, Jesus, of course. I mean, Jesus, the importance of Jesus' baptism is in his baptism, he joined himself on the team of all those who were sorry and repentant of their sins and looking for a Savior. So he was baptized, you know, for the repentance of sins. John the Baptist didn't have salvation, didn't understand the, the next piece. All he could do was a baptism to prepare people who were sorry of their sins and wanted to please God. So Jesus was baptized without any sin in a baptism of repentance of sins to join himself in baptism to all of us who would turn from our sins and to turn to God. That's where he joined us. And so all kinds of groups, racially, religious, by location, males and females, we have opportunities. Because we're connected to people, uh, not you know, we're not just individuals like we look in the West. We're, we are truly connected spiritually into all different kinds of categories of things of which we're joined, like our generations, our families, etc. So this morning, I want to show you how Nehemiah, in his distress over his fellow countrymen who had been left in Jerusalem and in Judea, they were going through a really, really bad time. And it grieved him, and he sought the Lord over many days. He prayed and fasted, and then we're given the prayer that he was praying, and I want to explain that prayer to you this morning as a means of suggesting here's a model for us to pray, and here's a model from which we can now this morning uh, confess and turn from some things together 
that would allow us and prepare us that when we bless you this morning with the Father's blessing, that the impediments could be moved out of the way, that you could receive more profoundly than ever before the blessings that God has for you that we're going to speak over you this morning with a human voice. Jesus lives in our heart. We're going to speak it with a human voice, different ones, but we're going to say it with sincerity and integrity. We're going to say it committed to what we say. These are things that are in God's word, uh, and then we're going to say them knowing that heaven is going to hear us because we've met the qualifications. And let's look at Nehemiah and let's walk through this. So remember, Nehemiah was suffering at the end of the Babylonian captivity. I get my words right. Now, what happened in the ancient world, this idea of divide and conquer, the Assyrians were some of the ones to begin this a couple hundred years earlier, but there was a strategy in the ancient world, and they, they conquered so many vast groups of people, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, that they didn't want to leave them and, and leave everyone back in power that they didn't kill because they could get strong and then rebel against the Assyrians or the Babylonians. So this idea of divide and conquer. First, of course, they killed as many people as they felt they needed to do to win and get their point across. But then they would take all the smartest and the wealthiest and the best minds, and they would take them and separate them throughout their empire so that they wouldn't be together. And they did that through all the people that they conquered. So they'd mix everybody up so that you might be in, uh, you know, in Turkey or whatever. You'd be in Galatia, but you would be there with people from all over the world that you didn't like and didn't like you and didn't speak your language and by dividing in that way, it was much harder for you to fight back or to foment any kind of resistance once you had been defeated. Now, I hate to say it like this because um, some of the people that were not considered to be that impressive, the, the lowest people, they were the ones that were left in the land that weren't taken. All the best people were taken and divided all up. But the, the ones that they thought, these people, you know, they're not that sharp. The Kaikendals would have been there probably. But anyway, uh, some people were left there. Uh, and sort of left there, you know, alone to, to, to still work the land and et cetera, et cetera. But all the best people away. So Nehemiah is part of that generation that had been taken away. Okay, so the story goes like this. A guy escapes from there, comes up into Babylon. Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king. Now, this is a pretty nice job, by the way. Um, well, it could be a nice job, and it might not be a nice job. So a cupbearer, the job of the cupbearer was to be really the most trusted person of the king. And part of that was, and so one of the duties of the cupbearer is they had to taste all the food. I feel like I'm, my destiny was to be a cupbearer. I'm just looking for a king. You know, I, if I can find a king, I'm, I'm, I'm available just in case you know anybody like this. All right? And, and so all the choice food, this person got to eat, and they had to drink all the wine, and the idea was to make sure there was no poison in it. So it was kind of like the king would say, okay, here's the lobster rolls. Ron, have at it, you know, and I'd take three or four of those, tear them up, say, yeah, there's, you're going to be all right, and he'd kind of look to see if I'd live or die. As long as I live, then he eats his lunch, and, and that's how they, so that, that's what Nehemiah's job was, but that person, because the person trusted them with their life, was often a person, of course, of great respect, and we know that Xerxes, I'm not saying his name right, but we know that he thought incredibly highly of Nehemiah, so that when Nehemiah asked for permission to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, he not only did it, he gave him the money to do it. So you can think of the respect and the kind of person that Nehemiah was to have this really intimate position of trust and respect and friendship and advice that was symbolized by the fact that he ate all the food to make sure and drank the wine to make sure that the king didn't die. All right, so he's the cup bearer of the king, a very important 
position. Again, I'm available if just throwing that out to you if you find somebody. Let's jump down to verse 3 and we'll pick up the story. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province, meaning down in Israel, are there in great distress and reproach. He had asked them, how is everybody doing? The guy says, oh, it's terrible. So, you know, you're hoping, like, I'm away from home. I hope everything's going well. No, everyone's doing horrible. That's what he hears. They're in great, uh, great distress and reproach. What is reproach? Reproach is like shame. Shame is the feeling of being defected, no good, not just something. Guilt is what I, I did something wrong. Shame is I'm a mistake. I'm wrong. Okay? Reproach is when the people around you think you're screwed up, terrible, wrong, where they, so that the community of people or the church or whatever uh, puts upon you, you're the bad seed, you're the bad one, etc. So, so reproach is, is a community putting upon a person and making a judgment that they are defective as human beings in some way, all right? It's a terrible, terrible thing uh, to experience. So they are a reproach. So instead of saying, here's God's people, and no matter how bad it is, they're flourishing, they're doing great. No, they're in great distress, and everybody looks down upon them and says, you guys are losers. Your God is the weakest, crummiest, and you're the most terrible people there are. Uh, so to be in this great, uh, great distress and also have the people around them uh, basically think that they're absolutely worthless. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. So it was, this is, this is what godly people do in distressing times. This is what good fathers do and good mothers. You know, it's, we're not as surprised when mothers do these things, by the way. Uh, we have some really great moms. But how wonderful when fathers take the place spiritually and take the role and do this. There's something really profound that happens as well. So it was when I heard these words, I sat down and wept. There'd be no other response to knowing that all the people he loved back in Jerusalem in the place of God's temple was experienced in such horrible times. He was connected in his heart to them, of course, even as there was family and, uh, and it was his people. And he mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. That's what we should be doing. We need more fasting and praying. We need more lamenting. We need to, to quit anesthetizing ourselves on just how bad things are. We're not going around and telling her to be judgmental and everything, but, but we need to recognize that things are not the way God expects them to be. That's not, we're not experiencing things in our families, in our marriages, with our children, in our finances, in our health. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we can either kind of play dead and check out, or we can get engaged and begin to fast and pray and to seek the Lord for the deliverance that we need. This is what Nehemiah did. He's our pattern. Now, watch here. So I said, and this is Nehemiah speaking, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Meaning, Lord, you're faithful. When people do their part and respond to you, you bless them. And we're not being blessed, so we know whose fault it is. Now, we're not around here to go point blame at other people, but Nehemiah knew the fault laid with human beings, it didn't lay with God. He's faithful to keep his covenant. Do you know that he's still faithful? So we can ask some tough questions. And if we don't ask the tough questions, things are only going to get worse. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. Do you know that when he prayed, he didn't just pray one time. 
I mean, he prayed for a season. He prayed, as the old timers used to say, and I love it, they say, I prayed until I prayed. Sometimes it takes a day, it takes a week, it takes a month to pray before the breakthrough comes. I've been praying, Lord, uh, I'm going to Tanzania, and I'm praying. The last time I went there and the last couple times I went, I mean, it's, it's a rough place. The spiritual opposition is rough. And it's like, oh, I got to get back to the drawing board and pray so that when I get at the right time, the Lord's going to release his spirit like I've seen in India and other places. But it's going to take some more prayer. It's going to take some more time. Some things, if we could see how big the wall is, we know why it's taking so long. We have underestimated what we're coming up against. That's why it's so hard. It's not that God doesn't love you or isn't listening. It's just, it's a whole lot of stuff. It's a whole lot of stuff. So, now, let's remember a couple principles here. You're sur- okay, so uh, please let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. This is verse 5, 6, excuse me. Uh, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess. Now remember, nobody can repent for you. Repentance is personal. You repent for your own sins. But confession is corporate. 1 John 1, 9, if we, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, right, from all of our iniquities. He, he'll do it. He promises. All right? So here's the thing. Why do we every Sunday come together and list the categories of sins? Because if we come together with earnestness and sincerity as we confess, knowing that we're not there only. We're not supposed to do anything less than repent. That confession is a repentance. It's a chance for us to say, oh, I forgot. I did this this week, and I need to confess that, and I need to repent for myself. But we're also coming together recognizing that as a body of people, as a family of God here in this particular church, that, that there's all kinds of issues in us, and that together we have the right and the obligation to confess together so that we can receive a grace together that is bigger than we deserve individually. Do you know that you're acting as priests when we do that confession? That one of the most powerful things is taking place if we approach it with earnestness, repenting for ourselves, and also coming together as a corporate family, spiritually in our worship, coming before the God of all grace, and asking Him together for things that we don't deserve, but He is willing to give us in Jesus. Something so profound is supposed to happen every Sunday morning in that confession. Because we're doing it together. We're doing it publicly. And that's the pattern and the model that they did. I mean, the Old Testament, the children of Israel would get up and they would have to all agree and they'd all pray and they'd all confess and they'd all bind themselves to God. We do that in our service. We are following the patterns that have been laid out for us in the Bible. We're not just doing it because, oh, that's what they always did. We're doing it because it comes from a biblical pattern. It ain't the only way, but it's a really good way. But it's only as good as our hearts are coming with earnestness. There needs to be an earnestness as we come together and pray, as we confess. Thank God this week, you can't think of 50 things, but there's plenty of things going on. And we ask the Lord, help us to see and to know. You know, in our, well, I'm going to show you. Turn over in the back real quick. Well, wait, wait, sorry, let's just look, look at the underlying part. Confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinance which you commanded your servant Moses. Now, now turn over. 
All right, there was three categories of, 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 that, that Nehemiah came to, re, to, to confess for. He came for the children of Israel, the whole nation. They did sins, sins that Nehemiah wasn't even alive for. They had, that's why they were in captivity, because God judged them and allowed foreigners to come and take over because they had rebelled so wickedly against God, primarily with idolatry and immorality, but there's lots of other things that were going on as well. But he, a guy who hadn't even done those things, he understood he was spiritually connected. So he took the responsibility to act in a priestly role. We're a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, royal priesthood. We've got obligation. It's not just a guy who's made a priest or a deacon or a bishop. It, this is who we are in Christ. He understood his role, and he did it. He prayed for the nation. He prayed for the children of Israel. They had done all kinds of things. And he came and he stood in the gap for them and interceded to God because God is a God of grace and power. He did it for his father's house. He knew his family. I don't know about you, but, but my family has plenty of sins. Maybe your family doesn't. But I can guarantee you the Kuykendalls have plenty of sins. I'm not just talking to Susan. I'm talking about my brothers and my sisters and my parents and my grandparents. We can go back. We, we, we have a tremendous need of God's grace. We're so grateful for things he's done. Nehemiah understood he was connected, and he had to imagine the responsibility, but also the grace. Can you imagine that we could be praying for our adult children who are doing things they shouldn't be doing, and we can take a priestly role and to seek God's mercy and to confess their sins? We can't repent for them, but we can move heaven to be predisposed to pour out favor and good things to them, even including a mind to see their sins and to turn back to God, because the spiritual principles throughout the Bible, including, of course, where is it chiefly displayed? In Jesus, on the cross, who bore our sins, who bore our sin, who intercedes for us eternally. That's what Jesus is doing. We get to be part of that great mystery and power of his grace in the cross as we pray, confessing the sins of the nation, confessing the sins, in our case, of the church, uh, confessing, we could, as men, we could confess things, as women, we can confess things. We could do it about our racial groups, our ethnic groups. I mean, there's a, so much stuff. And that's before we even look at our own, which is plenty of that as well. It's a massive, powerful thing. And when people begin to get engaged in these kind of things, God begins to shift and to hear. This is why he did it. So then there was categories of sin. There's three categories. Let me just, you know, you, you might as well know, right? There's no sense just reading it and not know what it means. The three categories correspond to the three aspects of the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law had three parts. It had the moral law, also known as the Ten Commandments. The second part of the Old Testament law was the ceremonial or the sacrificial law. And that's all the sacrifices and things that they had to do to worship in the temple, all the way to, to making the fabrics right, uh, to what they, the dietary codes, all the different things that were given, all the different sacrifices things that they were given. And according to uh, God, was supposed to do them a certain way to please God. And if they didn't, it didn't please God. So you had the whole sacrificial system. Now that passed away in Jesus in this sense. Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial and the ceremonial law. But we still plead the blood of Jesus, meaning we still are seeking God. The good things that come to us come because he died once, but the benefits of that go on forever. So we continue to pray at the throne of grace and mercy, and we plead the blood of Jesus. Because of his love for us and the sacrifice of what he done in his perfect life, we have access to all that life and all that grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. We have access because of the sacrifice because of the sacrificial system. It was given in all these little things to show, to give us a hint of the enormity of what Jesus would do in his singular life, singular death, 
singular resurrection. And then we become partakers of that by faith. So second part ceremony. The third of the observance, so you have the, it says the law, uh, the, the, the uh, statues, and the ordinances is, is how he says it there in Nehemiah in the New King James. So the statues are the ceremonial law, the religious things, and then the ordinance are how to deal rightly with other people. So, for example, God was the king, and so they were supposed to not do certain things. Uh, for example, they were not allowed to go out at night and change the boundary markers of people's property. So everybody is given, are you laughing? I'm from West Virginia. This, this is serious business. People get shot over this kind of stuff and never show up. You know, the, you know, the old oak tree, and all of a sudden the old oak tree ain't there anymore. I mean, PR, you know, it's a big deal to move boundary markers, and it was for them. People are cheating and, and to have unjust weights and all these different things the Old Testament commanded as a reflection in society of God's kingdom and his holiness and his righteousness. Now listen, there's a way to worship. Do you know that we could be violating the statutes by coming here and not being engaged? Do you know how easy it is to drift? When I was a kid, I'd go to church. The only way I could get through the unbearable long sermons, thank God you're not in the same church. The only way I could get through with the unbearable long service is that we lived, the church in Pennsylvania where I really struggled, uh, it, it wasn't quite such a high ceiling, but it was wood. It was like pine, pine paneling, you know, pine, you know, I don't know, one by fours or something. And, and I found, because I had so much faith, that if I looked at those, I could see army men and imagine battles and wars. And so I spent a number of years of my life just grudging, because at that day, you didn't get to go out for children's church. That was a luxury that some other nice kids got. We didn't get that. And if, and if we moved around too much, in the old days, there was a belt and all kinds of other things. It, was, it wasn't, it was nothing like today, thank God, but, but nonetheless. So I had to sit there and look engaged, but I wasn't engaged. I was thinking about, I was just trying to find anything in the world to keep my mind distracted that I wouldn't get in trouble and get a spanking, uh, you know, even pull out of church or after church. So, I mean, it, it was hard work, though. So luckily, those, there was about, you know, the pine has all the crummy little... Uh, knots and stuff, and so I could sort of see tanks and 30-06s and machine guns, and anyway, so I, I was, uh, anyway, that's what I spent my life doing for several years in church. When we come to church, we need to come with an attitude at least. I mean, ministers do, if they bore you, the sin's on the minister, I'll be honest with you. If we make God's word and God's ways boring, uh, there's responsibility, and unfortunately, Far too often that's the case. That's, that's not what I'm trying to do, at least. But it's a big deal, because these are holy things. Do you know that when we worship, when we sing, I don't know how many times we've asked people, don't talk when we're worshiping. Do you realize that's a sin? Do you realize it's a time where the attention is to God? And if we're doing other things, distracting other people and ourselves, that we're, 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 it's a sin. Now, we don't go around giving you a hard time because we're Anglicans and we don't do all that, but, but it isn't good. It's serious business. It's a holy time, and when collectively we come together, it matters. And when people check out, it, you can feel it. The church, there's a, there's a critical mass that comes when the people of God come and worship God in a sincere way. It doesn't matter if you can sing well. It doesn't matter if you can raise your hands or not. Uh, but, but I tell you, there's an intention and a focus. God, this is your time. You're worthy of our praise, and we're going to do it. I don't care if you like the style, the voice. It's God's time. God's time. It's something we can do together. Now, when the people are driving you crazy, talking around you, what do you do? If you judge them, you just make it twice as bad. You apply Nehemiah. God, forgive them. 
Forgive him, Lord. This is your time, and it's irritating me, but, but Lord, I forgive him. You forgive him. We turn it into prayer. As a body, we're going to hit a critical mass. When we come together, we're going to worship together, and there is a lifting. I've seen it. I've been there. I've seen it happen. Something powerful happens when some critical mass, I don't know how big that is, but there's a critical mass when people come with that kind of intention to give God the focus and the attention and to praise Him because He deserves it, He's worthy of it, and something happens where His presence begins to come down. And we haven't really been at church until that happens. Now look, some of you got busy days and families, but I mean, it's funny, at that time of worship, when, the, when it's finally time for the Spirit to come down, we have done our part going up. There's ascending parts of worship, and there's descending. It's amazing how many people leave before the good part. This is not the good part. This is the preparation. It's when in our worship that the Spirit descends that we finally have a completed picture of what God's trying to do. And look, I get it. The preacher went on forever. You know, we can't sit still. I get it. But do you realize we did all that? We don't do all this to do all this. We do all this because we want to worship God that he might descend. We, in our ascending aspects of our worship and teaching, all this is preparation that we might receive from him in the descending cycle of worship. And that's when most people take off. It's, it's, look, I'm not, I, I'm not here trying to make anyone feel bad. I don't, we don't do that. That's, that's not, but I'm telling you, you're missing it. You're missing it. You, I can't afford to miss that. Anyway, so there's the commands, the Ten Commandments. There's the statues, the things about worship, and, and then there's the way in which we live with people. Uh, he says he, he repents on behalf of himself, his family, and his nation, and he repents in those three categories, which are the categories of the Old Testament law. Now, then this is what Nehemiah reminds. Now listen, if you want to learn how to pray, you've got to learn the Scriptures. Because Nehemiah's prayer had power because he quoted back to God what God had said to Moses. This morning, I'm praying for my stomach. This, my stomach has been lingering. I've been sick. My diabetes, when I get this morning, I'm praying, and I'm reminding, Lord, by your stripes, we're healed. I'm reminding God of what his scripture said, what he's promised to me and said to me in his scriptures, and I'm praying until. It took Nehemiah many days of fasting and prayer for everything to shift. Sometimes it happens immediately. Sometimes it takes a while, but, but I'm hitting it. And when I pray, I'm reminding God what he says in his word. That increases my faith, and God loves it when we take him in his word and we pursue him. There's all kinds of you got issues in your marriage or with your kids. or your Man, we want to get into the Bible, see what God says about it, and then we want to pray that back to God. That's a way that heaven will begin to open up. It's the quickest way, if you want your prayers heard, is to, is to speak God's word back to him. So Nehemiah 9 and 10. On the back, I have it underlined there if you want. He reminds God what God said. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, how do we keep his commandments? We're not perfect. You keep his commandment by trying your best, and when you blow it and you sin, you do what? You repent. Okay? That's how you keep them. We can't keep them without any failure, but we keep them by doing our best, and when we, re- when we mess up, we say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. Repentance restores us. So you can live a life of keeping God's commandments not by never making a mistake or never sinning, but when you sin, by turning back to God. I don't always see it. I wish I could tell you. I always see it when I sin. And sometimes I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe. And, and, and it takes me a week, or it's not a good sign. But you know, you quicker, it used to take me years. When you see it, repent. God will show you more. If you'll repent, 
when God shows you, he'll begin to show you more and more. And the things that are blocking you from God's grace, he'll get removed from your life. If you return to me and you keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens. You got put all over the world and divide and conquer strategy. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, you got moved all in the craziest places. He says, yet I'll gather. Now look, this is a spiritual principle. There is a being gathered back to God, restored in intimacy with the Father, by the power of the Spirit, by the blood of Jesus. I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed. He's reminding them. Do you know when I pray for John, Carl, and, and, and Joy, do you know I remind them? They were baptized in your name. They're yours, Lord. They trusted you. They said the words. They meant it. They may be arguing right now. Just kidding. They're back there. I'm just, they're trying to smile. Listen, I remind them. They're back. When people are dying, I remind the Lord they were baptized. They were given to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Ghost. They confessed your faith in you in their confirmation. These are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power. He had a glimpse into this, and he didn't even realize the fullness of it in Jesus, but he had a glimpse of the redemption and your great power and by your strong hand. Oh, Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive. And ask him, oh, Lord, would you hear us when we come in our service of St. Andrews? Would you, would you provide a place where heaven would come down? That when we come to worship, we will be shifted and transported by the power of your spirit here. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper. Let everything they do. See, the idea is if we come here together and worship, that, that as the Spirit is pleased and God starts pouring out His presence, that we go, everything you touch starts going well. Do you realize that? It's like the Lord starts blessing. It doesn't mean we're all become millionaires, but it just means that everything we touch, God's favor, it becomes tangible. Other people can see it. Some are jealous, some can't stay away from it. Some are repelled by it. But there's something happens where people know there's something different about us. I, I was in a Chinese restaurant. You don't believe that. But anyway, I, yeah, I was eating a Chinese restaurant. It's a confession. And that means people came to the table. We can tell you're a Christian. What was it? The second helping? I don't know. You know, I don't know what it <laughs> Listen, something happens where people can say, like the men on the road to Emmaus, we can tell they've been with Jesus. They've been with him. That's what's supposed to be happening. And it takes a collective effort moving in this direction. Let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy. Remember what mercy is. There's areas of my life where I am so unable, it seems, to do better. And mercy is help to the helpless. There are parts of my life that, Lord, I really... I don't deserve it, but Lord, you've provided it. And I'm asking you once again for mercy in this area. I really need your help. Knowing that his property is always to have mercy under what conditions? Hearted repentance and true faith. We say it every Sunday in the absolution. What powerful things. Now, I say this, I'm hoping that through this you've been thinking. I'm hoping that God's reminded you. So this morning, when we make our confession, you can be remembering not only to repent for your own thing, 
but you can remember our families and our need and then our church family and then the Christian churches and, and then our city and, and then our state. I mean, what tremendous business we can do with God this morning if we were game to, to come out of passivity and to engage ourselves in worship this morning as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. What amazing things could happen in this place this morning. This is God's intention and design. If you wanted a longer sermon, which you don't, but if you did, I could go through our liturgy and show you it follows this model and pattern. It's actually built on this pattern. All right. When it comes time at the uh, communion, if you would like, we're going to invite you to come up. We're going to have five or six guys. I don't know how many it is. We're going to be up here, uh, and, and we're going to pray for you a blessing. Now, we're going to give it as a Father's blessing. We're going to do our part. We're going to be intentional, sincere. We're going to say the words right as best we can, and we know heaven is going to answer because everything in the, in the blessing is from the Bible. All right? It's going to give you a chance to be blessed. But listen, there's something about us that we don't know how to receive as well as we, we need to. So what I want you to do is this. When we come to bless you this morning, I want you to put one of your arms at least, maybe both, on the shoulder Come here, Chad. If I was blessing Chad this morning, I want Chad to put this arm, and I want him to think, in a sense, spiritually, like a, like a straw. Because we're going to bless him and ask for the anointing and the grace of Jesus. Even, and, and he could do the same for me, meaning it, it's not, I'm not doing it like, I'm the bishop, put, you know, receive this great... I'm, every one of us has Jesus in our heart by faith. Every one of us, the, the Spirit is here. So I mean, it's a principle. It's not because it's nothing special in... Uh, in this necessarily. I mean, there are things in the office, but, but I'm not talking about, I'm talking just as, as human fathers blessing people this morning. All right? So I'm going to pray. Who are you making fun of? Are you doing? He's clearly behind you. Like, oh, Nate, you were invisible for a minute yeah. there. He's like, you disappeared. Yeah, your kids are laughing. All right. So then I'm going to put either my head in hand, but probably I'll put my hands here. And I got like 14 print font so I can say the blessing right. All right? And I'm going to bless uh, Chad. I'm going to bless whoever it is. In Jesus' name. And I want, as you put your hand, I want you as best you can to realize the words are representing the heart of God. And what you're drawing is the presence of Jesus in you and in the person that's blessing you, you want to be as, like a, just is receiving that in the most profound way. Our words are too small for what God wants to do this morning. But they're the best we have. All we have are these words. They're powerful words. But they're powerful because Jesus lives in here and Jesus is here. And so when we say these words, more is going on than the words. And as best you can, I'm trying to make a rhyme, you know, make like a sponge and, yeah, there's no rhyme I can't figure. But, but anyway, but I want you to, 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 in a sense, as consciously as you can, to receive that blessing and just take it deeper and deeper into the depth of your body because God wants to bless you. And this morning, we're going to take the time to do that. Thank you. You did a really good, you're a good Thank model. You. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Lord, what holy things we have as men and women, uh, even young boys and girls to come, and as the people of God to confess, Lord, not only our own sins, but our family and, and our nation and our church and and Lord, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And, and yet you're a God, as Nehemiah reminds us, who keeps this covenant. Lord, you keep your promises. And we acknowledge we have not kept ours. 
So, Lord, as humbly as we know how, Lord, we turn back to you and we pray. Uh, and we say we will confess the things you show us. We'll turn from them, Lord. Knowing that there'll be more things that when we start softening our hearts and turning to you on the things we know, you will continue to reveal to us those things which are blocking your blessings and your presence and your spirit, Lord. Because of our hardness of heart, Lord, you're going to do it. And we're so grateful, Lord, that your property is always to have mercy. Lord, we ask that you would pour out your spirit and convict us. Show us, Lord, how to do these things, how to get engaged spiritually and with earnestness to take the responsibility you've given us. That as a family here at St. Andrews, Lord, that we would do these things and be a blessing uh, to our own selves, our families, our church, our city, our nation. Uh, that we could be transacting worship in the highest form of heaven as we come together as the family of God here. So Lord, would you bless us? Would you empower us? We yield ourselves to you, souls and bodies. And we ask these things in the most precious and the most beautiful name, the name of Jesus. And the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven.